0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Renee Miller to the show. Dr. Renee is a perinatal clinical psychologist who runs the Antenatal and Postnatal Psychology Network in Melbourne, Australia. In recent years, through working with many women, she has developed an interest in women who experience gender disappointment. I found Dr. Renee through her blog articles and resources on this topic, and I've asked her here today to help us unpack what gender disappointment is, why we refer to it as gender disappointment when what we're really talking about is sex of the baby, why do people experience gender disappointment, and how we can move through gender disappointment if we have feelings of grief and loss or all kinds of other complex emotions that can come up during this time. This is a really interesting and insightful episode. So get ready, get your cup of tea, pour your bath or put on your walking shoes, whatever it is you're doing, get cozy and listen in with my conversation with Dr. Renee. Waiting on a baby's arrival can be very stressful. There is so much stress and uncertainty in the air and not knowing when baby's gonna come and who's going to be available to watch your older children is always such a major stressor for my clients. That's why I've created a free resource called The Sibling Plan. This resource helps you to brainstorm your childcare supports, provides a checklist for all the things you'll need to remember to pack for your older child, and also has a whole set of tools that you fill out and give to the child care provider with their favorite toys, favorite foods, and things that they should avoid or are allergic to. It helps to do some of the mental and invisible load for you so that you can really enjoy those last few weeks or months with your child before a sibling comes along. To get this download, head to happyasamother.co/sibling. That's happyasamother.co slash sibling. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Renee, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. You are, I don't even know what day you're on, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're on the other side of the world. You're in Australia. I'm in Toronto. We are making our schedules work because we've really been looking forward to this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us.
1: That's my pleasure, Erica. Lovely to meet you.
0: Yes, you as well. I actually found you via Google when I was looking into the topic of gender disappointment. And I came across a couple of articles you had written and started to dive into your work and what you're doing in Australia, working with the perinatal population and moms and partners. And I'm just really excited for us to dive into this really important conversation today. Before doing that, I'm always so curious, in your psychology journey and your professional journey, there's so many ways that we can niche down and specialize. So how did you find your way into working with perinatal or maternal mental health?
1: Oh, that takes me back. I was working as a general psychologist in organizations, and I became pregnant with my first child and found that going through the prenatal as you call it we call it antenatal process of being pregnant and you know being looked after in that capacity and planning for a birth that there was very little information on how to prepare your mind for birth and I started to become more and more interested in that being quite scared myself of you know how am I going to push out this baby being quite slight in stature. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) So
1: I went to a hypnotherapist and I did some wonderful work on preparing for birth. But I really thought there was a gap in the marketplace in terms of what people need when they're deciding to have a baby and what little there is emotionally. So at the same time, I was doing my research as part of my doctoral studies, and I decided to look into women's first time experience of pregnancy and parenthood. And it all developed from there. And I specialized at that point in working with women initially to prepare them for birth. But actually what I ended up seeing was everything under the sun, other than preparation for birth, that sort of became quite small in the scheme of the presentations of people who came to see me.
0: Yeah, And
1: that was it. I did my doctorate and I specialized from then on. And now I run a network of There's 27, I think, at the moment of us psychologists who are all highly trained and experienced in this field. And we just love the work that we do.
0: That's incredible that you've been able to build something so impactful and meaningful for moms and parents, I'm sure partners as well, on this journey into parenthood. I was speaking with somebody on Instagram via DMs or something. And they were explaining how in Australia, preemptively they get sent like a postpartum depression screen and she had flagged high on the screen. So she got a call from a psychologist and was like granted so many sessions, you know, really proactively. So from what I can gather and the people who I interact with who are from Australia, there is a lot of really amazing work happening, supporting moms and parents in their first time journey into parenthood. In Canada, we do a pretty good job, an okay job, not so much on the maternal mental health side, but at least on like the parental leave side. And then a lot of the listeners tuning in today are from the US and they really lack parental leave. They lack, you know, some of these support systems. And so maternal mental health is a real true need when we factor in these other systems that aren't built around to support it either. So I think it's amazing that you've been able to build a team that does that kind of work. Mm, Thank you. The system is a whole conversation that I feel like (laughs) I could go into today, but that's not why we're here. Um, We're here to discuss the topic of gender disappointment and I have spoken about this a couple of times on my Instagram platform and it's really confusing and I feel like it can get a little bit heated because we don't really understand maybe what that means or how our preferences or ideals for gender form potentially. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start with unpacking what gender disappointment is? Okay.
1: So gender disappointment is the feelings of sadness, you can call it grief, disappointment that ranges from mild to extreme devastation for some people. And it's when the child that they find out they're having is not the sex that they had hoped for. This can happen for women when they're pregnant and they find out through their prenatal screening or after the baby is born. Some women will present to me pregnant, they don't know the sex that they're having, but they're really worried about having a particular sex Hmm. or having the same sex of the child or children they already have. There are so many different presentations in the people that I see, but the common themes are women generally experience it, that may be a function of women taking more steps to go to therapy or women who go onto the forums on, you know, gender disappointment or gender swaying or sex selection. So it may be a function of that that we see it as an almost exclusively female thing. Mm. So, you know, we've just got to be careful about interpreting that. Mm -hmm. But the majority of women, their preference is to have a girl Hmm. That is not to say that there aren't women whose preference is to have a boy. There are. But, you know, if we're looking at the numbers, there are far more women who have a preference to have a girl than a boy. You know, the article that you found me based on, there are a number of things that came out in the people that I asked on Facebook to just share their experiences of gender disappointment And for some women, they wanted to have the experience of one of each. Hmm. Some women wanted a boy, for sure, for the reasons that they held. And yeah, it's kind of a phenomenon, but it's an underground one Mm -hmm. because women feel like they don't really have the right to feel disappointed. They don't have the right to grieve that loss. But it is an incredible loss for people, especially those people who say, My entire life I imagined that I
0: would have a daughter. Mm. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder about the things that shape these expectations or ideals or hopes, right? I think that when you speak about, I always imagined, I always imagined that I would have a daughter. And I even had a name picked out, much easier than boys' names, I found. And sort of just, I don't know if it's because I'm female and just sort of envisioned myself with a daughter, and I turned up with three boys, (laughs) you know. Mm. And there was some processing around that because it just, when we decided to be done, was a having to close the door on something that was always sort of just expected was going to happen. And so I feel that there's a lot of things, whether maybe our family of origin, those dynamics, I come from a brother and a sister, like sort of that stereotypical four person home, one girl, one boy, you know, or sometimes maybe even cultural norms and societal expectations play a role in this, would you say?
1: Yeah, we know that in Asian cultures, there is a preference for a boy because it's more common that daughter-in-laws are involved in looking after their in-laws. But I've seen many people from those cultures who want a girl and that's at odds with what their parents expect. Mm. So there can be sort of a mismatch there and a feeling of you know, I can't express these feelings. I can't express my sadness at having my fourth boy. Mm -hmm. You know, when my family, you know, intergenerationally regard, you know, boys as the preferable sex.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. I have a broad, diverse sort of friend group and people who we interact with. And there's been some Indian families and Middle Eastern families and things that have been like, three boys, you're so lucky, you know? Mm. And I am so lucky. And this comes to a point back in your article that you had talked about where I feel so immensely grateful to have my three boys and they're healthy and they're well, and I love and adore them, right? So one of the things that you highlight in this work is it is not a... Lack of gratitude or a lack of thankfulness for a healthy baby? Can you unpack that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that keeps women feeling ashamed, keeps the whole disappointment secret because they feel that they should be grateful, that society says you should be grateful to have a healthy baby and whatever you get is a blessing, mm. you know? And with that kind of expectation around them they can feel very alone when actually they just want to acknowledge that they feel sad that that story of if we're talking here about a girl you know that little girl and all the dreams they had around that has now gone that has ended Mm. that possibility is something that she is grieving it doesn't necessarily mean that she doesn't love her son Mm -hmm. and that separation of those two sets of feelings is really important because women often fear that they're going to be judged if they express any disappointment Mm -hmm. I mean it's so layered you know people feel like I can't express any disappointment that I'm pregnant with another let's say girl Mm -hmm. when I want a boy because friends who've got girls might find that a judgment of their family structure or the sex of the children they have so there's a lot of fear in there about you know not being able to name this and not being able to process it with people around them mm. so a lot of women go to forums on gender disappointment or gender swaying prenatal sex selection you know those forums that give them a sense of support
0: Yeah. As you're describing it, it makes me think about how if we're in the childbearing age, likely our friend group is as well. And maybe they are having infertility issues, or maybe they have gone through miscarriage, or maybe, you know, they are struggling in some way. And one of the things that I find with moms is, you know, well, I don't have it as bad as this person or I don't have it that bad so I can't complain or I don't have a right to feel how I feel in a way, right? And so I think that's sort of what you're describing is we sit isolated and in shame with our loss because we don't really know how to give words to our experience.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's an issue with many things in parenthood, isn't it? Where you second guess sharing your experience because in the quick mental arithmetic you think about is that insensitive to this person and what they're going through and you know when we have friends who are struggling to conceive the notion to ourselves that we might be disappointed in a perfectly healthy pregnancy but of a sex that we didn't prefer it becomes a diminished experience in light of what our friends are going through But that doesn't make it easier Mm -hmm. to work through the process of, well, this actually feels really sad for me and I feel so devastated by it. I need to look at what this is about Mm -hmm. versus just diminishing it because a friend is going through fertility difficulties. And for some people, when they have an experience of a friend going through fertility difficulties, that actually is enough for them to say, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to be grateful for what I have.
0: Hmm.
1: But that isn't enough for everyone. And what I tend to find is the deeper the drive and the narrative for wanting a child of a particular sex, the deeper that goes in terms of that woman's life experience, the more disappointed Mm
0: -hmm.
1: she feels and often the more work. There is to be done in the layers. Mm.
0: Yeah, I can see that the more sort of strong that cord or rope, right? The more that like tethers us to that ideal, the more we have to unpack it. And I'm curious if you can share with us, like, why do some of us experience it? Or maybe even some of the narratives that you've been exposed to and examples from clients of where this ideal might come from.
1: Yeah. You know, it was really interesting putting out a Facebook post to ask people to share with me their experiences. Some Mm. people did it publicly. Some people did it privately. But I collated the responses from people, and I'll tell you a few of them. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the ones that women expressed with a preference for a girl.
0: Okay.
1: I grew up with sisters. It's what I know. I never had a sister and I always longed for one. From a young child, I imagined having a daughter. I had a close relationship with my sister but not my brother. Hmm. I have a close relationship with my mum and I want to replicate this. I have a poor relationship with my mum and want to repair this with a daughter of my own. Hmm. My brother has a terrible relationship with my parents I'm a feminist and I work in a female-dominated industry. Being a woman is a strong part of my identity. Mm. This was someone who wanted a girl. Mm -hmm. I've lost a boy, so loss can be part of the picture. I've lost a boy and I want a girl so that I don't feel like the next baby replaces the baby who died. Yeah. But the converse can be true too. People want the same sex, all of that may involve some working through. I've seen families where the sons have poor relationships with their parents as adults and I'm fearful that this could happen with boys. That's a common one. Mm -hmm. We only want one child and I want a girl so that we can be close. You know, therein lies a massive assumption that Mm -hmm. by having a girl it means you're going to be close. I know a lot of people who the girl and their mother (laughs) do not have a close, good relationship. hmm One person said, I identified very much as a girly girl when I was growing up, and I want to share this with a daughter. Someone else said, I feel like a female will look after me when I'm old, much more so than a male. Mm. And another person said, I want to be part of a daughter having her own family rather than being the mother-in-law who might struggle within the daughter-in-law relationship, and the daughter-in-law may prefer her own mum. You can see that these sort of narratives that people build up uh, come from their experience of what they've seen around them. Mm -hmm. Because for all of those examples, I've seen the converse happen in real life. Right. You know, that I've seen some incredibly close daughter-in-laws to their mother-in-laws in clients I've seen over the years. Because the woman's mother was not great or had died. Mm, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many different scenarios. But you can see that these sort of beliefs go deep. Mm -hmm. They are about people's experience in the world and their assumptions about gender.
0: I think you're nailing it when you're talking about their assumptions of gender. And we're going to unpack that in just a moment, because that's a big piece that comes up when we're talking gender disappointment and gender versus sex. Mm. But as you were talking about those narratives, I hear myself in them even, right? Like, Mm. I'm such a girly girl. My kids say, you know, what's mommy's favorite color? Oh, it's sparkles. (laughs) You know, like, it's just... (laughs) And then I have three boys that are rough and tumble and don't care to play with dolls and Barbies. Though today, I was actually asking them if they would like a doll for Christmas. And you know, they have no interest. Unfortunately, I would love for them to. And so there was sort of this immediate, it wasn't like when they're young and they're kids. It's more like, who's going to want to do these things with me? Like, we're going to go to Disney. No one's going to care about the prince's castle. They're going to (laughs) be out doing whatever. Or, you know, when they do get older and they find a partner, they do tend to, you know, maybe leave the home more and I won't have that like daughter-mom relationship. And these are some of the very narratives that you just highlighted. But it's interesting how this thing can take us to like 30 years in the future at my like son's wedding, you know this this one moment Ooh. has such an impact it feels like. Yeah. And since my boys have been born, I feel so incredibly honored to raise feminist sons and I don't have a daughter and I would have yeah. loved to raise a feminist daughter, but to raise feminist sons that will see women as their equal and you know have such respect is also so incredibly amazing to me but it definitely took some grieving that ideal or that vision which is like you put words to it a loss to some people and as you had also highlighted it devastates some more than others and like the weight of that loss right
1: yeah yeah absolutely And, you know, even if you got that girl, you can't assume that all the things you had hoped for her would (laughs) manifest.
0: So true. You
1: know, you may have had a tomboyish girl. I don't know if you use that expression. But, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who's potentially more into sport and camping and that sort of thing than the boys. Yeah. Or someone who, you know, is attracted to various things that are different to the narrative you had held. Mm -hmm. And the danger for any parent in holding any narrative, preconceived narrative, about their child is that they may have problems letting the child be who they are.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, not saying that everyone is like that because, you know, I think it's something we actually learn and evolve to become as parents is that we see that our children aren't these little manifestations of what we thought our child would be and the parenting journey would be and, and, you Mm -hmm. know, all those sort of assumptions. And through our parenting, we let go of assumption after assumption after assumption. And in its place, we put in acceptance Mm. and curiosity and trying to figure out who is this little person. And that transcends their gender, Mm -hmm. their
0: sex. Yeah. And it's really led me down this path of exploring gender. And a hot topic on the podcast has been social justice parenting and anti-racism and even just unpacking gender and gender identity and things. And so I've had to stop and look at you know, how we socialize children according to their gender and these preconceived ideas I had about having daughters versus having sons. It's really challenged me, as you said, just because I had a girl doesn't mean she's going to come out wanting to like throw confetti in the air like I do, you know? Mm. She may have no desire to be that way. And that is also amazing, you know? Yeah. When we talk about the deconstruction of gender that is happening in, you know, conversation and in the world. When I talk about gender disappointment, there is this real kind of heated debate that comes up on my feed and posts. Like, why is it gender? It should be called sex disappointment. And can we unpack that? Like do we know why it's called gender disappointment versus sex disappointment or where this terminology even really comes from?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's such an interesting point because it is the wrong term. Mm. It absolutely is the wrong term. But imagine if, you know, our topic today was on sex disappointment. Mm. It's a whole other topic really. You know, it's like, right, we're going to be talking about what's happening in our sex life and <laughs> our disappointed
0: it's true we that, that we you know, go right to you know that what place. I mean. like, yeah.
1: You go straight to that place and it just would not be an appropriate term. And given that this term has come about really through a collective of people experiencing similar feelings around disappointment and sadness and grief and loss, it's just a term that's been coined. Mm. And I think the the term gender that's used in it, other than sex disappointment, really, which is how it should be termed, mm. other than that, you know, sounding like it's another topic, gender is sort of more in line with things like gender reveals, right. you know, when you're finding out the gender of your baby prenatally. So, you know, strictly speaking, it is an incorrect term, mm-hmm. but it is the commonly used term to describe the phenomenon. But the phenomenon itself is just a set of feelings. They're not a clinical entity. Mm -hmm. There's some researchers who argue that. They looked into all the different forums that cover gender disappointment and sex selection and that sort of thing. And they talk about gender disappointment not actually being a clinical entity like depression. Right. But it can be associated with feelings of depression or anxiety. Mm. But gender disappointment in and of itself is a set of feelings of grief around feeling disappointed that we're having a child that was not our preferred sex.
0: And I hear what you're saying where it's not a diagnosis in itself. Maybe in its most sort of extreme forms and despair can become a prolonged depressive mood if we get really stuck in this place, maybe. Or like you said, grief and loss that can maybe become complicated or stick around if it becomes more extreme, right? Yeah. And in some of its maybe more mild to moderate forms, which I would say probably was where I sat was a like a distinct feeling of grief when I learned the different genders that we were having. And then just like a little time to process, but not with a major disruption to my mood or life, right? Mm. And what I'm understanding, and correct me here if I'm wrong, is that really we can fall on a continuum with how significant our despair or loss or reaction is in this situation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. How strong it is and how long it lasts, for sure.
0: Yeah, I can see how if we were calling it sex disappointment, <laughs> it would not really be like summing up or naming the experience as clearly or get confused people. So that's helpful to distinguish and understand.
1: I think a little bit more on that, which might be helpful is to be very clear that the reason why it is sex disappointment is because all we're talking about are the genitals Mm -hmm. of the child. But the way that it's conceived of is around gender and expectations around gender with gender stereotypes being at the heart of that Mm. and I think that's what's really important to discern because you know the whole gender reveal idea is that someone finds out they're having a boy and everything is blue and there's footballs and there's you know all these sort of gender stereotypical ideals and ideas that start to get associated with that fetus. Mm -hmm. Similarly for a girl, there's tutus and pink and I'm talking about generally what Yeah, like stereotypically for sure. Exactly. But, you know, gender is actually what we identify as and our children will become the gender they identify as being irrespective of the genitals they were born with,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: irrespective of their assigned sex. So, you know, that whole way of thinking is really important for people just to get into perspective because we don't tend to think about that when we're pregnant.
0: Mm -hmm. We don't
1: tend to think about, oh, I wonder if my baby that I'm told is a girl is going to identify one day as a girl Mm -hmm. or maybe be non-binary or transgender. Right. So these are the important things to just bear in mind Mm -hmm. when we're evaluating our assumptions.
0: Yeah. I was actually just doing a little bit of research and reading about even like intersex people who are born with some combination of both Physiological makeups, you know, whether that's the genitalia or like ovaries or testes or some, you know, biological representation, I guess, of both sexes. Mm. And how there's a really strong movement to, or there, I guess, there used to be surgeries, or maybe there still is. Again, I'm really sort of new to this topic. The surgeries that would sort of select the gender for the child before they're like of an age to really decide for themselves. Mm. And yeah, it's just becoming such an important topic that we're becoming more informed about. Mm. I think that I want to say gender has been prescribed to us in a lot of ways, right? Like you're talking about these stereotypes. And so to sit and be able to reevaluate some of these constructs, I think is just important especially must feel so freeing and important to those who don't feel they fall within them right yeah absolutely one of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments researching doctors reading reviews making phone calls to book appointments it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor that's what makes zocdoc great for moms ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on Zocdoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with Zocdoc. Go to Zocdoc.com slash momwell and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Zocdoc.com slash momwell. Zocdoc.com slash momwell. want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so, you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life changing, science based, myth busting podcast that's a must listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like calorie smart, keto, protein plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box.
1: Erica, do you think your listeners would want to hear some of the examples of women who prefer to have a boy?
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I just think even though there are more women who prefer a girl, there still are women who prefer boys. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to represent their sets of beliefs. Yeah. Okay. So this is what women said to me. I'd always seen myself as a boy mum. I had an awful relationship with my mum and always hoped for boys because of this. I grew up having male friends. I was sporty and I wasn't a girly girl. Mm. Yeah, I didn't want my child to go through what I went through as a teenager and I thought a boy would have less social issues. That's a
0: big one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a common one. Girls
0: are associated with like these emotional, hard years. Boys are more simple, apparently. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's that narrative that boys are more straightforward. Right. And with that, this person said girls are more complex, especially in the teenage years. Mm. Uh, Another person said, I had a very close relationship with my brother, which is why she wanted a boy. I'm close to my dad and we are very alike. I lost a boy and I want another baby boy. So you can see Mm. that's the flip of what I spoke to you about before for the woman who lost a baby and wanted a girl. I lost a girl and want the opposite sex of the baby I lost. Mm. I want a brother for my son. That's really common for women who want Mm -hmm. boys. And then we discussed earlier for cultural reasons. So they're the sort of narratives that women who want boys shared with me. Would you like to know about the narratives associated with wanting one of each? hmm please. Which I think is in line with how the US operates in terms of that idea of family balancing. Right. And that you can actually choose sex selection mm-hmm. based on that, which we don't have here. The only way in Australia that you can get the gender or sex that you want is by terminating or by going overseas to select via um, IVF.
0: Okay, so different countries have different policies on sex selection. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I'm in Canada. I don't know what the policy is in Canada. I do believe that in the U.S. you can determine the gender of the embryos that are implanted. I believe you can. Yeah. Don't quote me.
1: That's my understanding too, but I'm open to be corrected. So the women who responded to my post who wanted one of each said, I desperately want the experience of being a parent to both sexes. I want my partner to have a boy or I want my partner to have a girl. Mm. I have a picture of what each child would share or experience differently with me to my partner. I have a brother and I loved that. So, you know, I want a girl and a boy. I had a competitive relationship with my sister, so I want there to be one of each. Hmm. So do do you see how everyone brings their own experience to the assumptions that they make which underlie the preferences that they hold?
0: Yeah. It's so fascinating to me how some might experience this feeling and maybe others may not. Do you have any thoughts on why... It might be so devastating for some over others?
1: You know, I think there's a lot of factors. Some people just feel things more strongly. Mm. But I think that if you drill down, it speaks to the level of experience and feelings the person carries and holds that have formed their assumptions and their preference. Mm. I can give you an example, if you want to, of some clients that I've worked with Mm -hmm. and what I've done, which might be interesting for your listeners, and it's referred to in this way in my article, is that when I sifted through all the responses from people, I put together and, you know, someone else can argue it differently, but I put together this idea that people are either wanting to replicate something Mm. in their gender preference They want to repair something Mm. that wasn't so great in their lives or it's a reflection of the self and that those sort of three, I guess, projections that people can hold tend to categorise the feelings of disappointment and the assumptions that people are making that drive those feelings. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example of one on replication. Yeah. Yeah. This person described to me that she has a close relationship with her mum but her brother doesn't have much of a relationship with the parents at all. She and her mum share similar interests and they love to go shopping together and go to the theatre together and her dad and brother just have no interest in those things. So already you're seeing in in that woman's family structure, in the way they operated and connected, she put those things down to gender. Hmm. This woman had two boys and started seeing me when she found out that her second child was a boy. Over time, she saw that she could encourage these interests in her boys and could find other interests to share with them. You know, she started to expand her world to think more about, well, interests can be lots of different things. It doesn't just have to be shopping and going to the theatre, which is something gorgeous that she shared with her mum. Hmm. She also came to an insight that her mum and her mum's mum had a terrible relationship Mm. and so she realised that just by virtue of there being a girl for a mother doesn't mean it's going to be a close relationship even though she and her mum had a lovely, beautiful relationship. She saw over time that having a girl doesn't ensure a close relationship and that she could start to separate from that narrative that only mothers and daughters can be close. She also started to see really beautiful qualities in her boys and tune into those and connect with them and build her connection with her boys, Hmm. which was really quite beautiful. So that was an example of someone wanting to replicate something from her past.
0: I love that one. It really makes me think about I'm saying that a girl would go to the Disney princess castle with me or like, go get their nails done and have a pedicure. And that's really about sharing in connection and a shared experience together, right? Is really what that's trying to achieve. And then when I think about my boys, I think about my oldest particularly is such a creative mind. And I love to connect with him through his creativity. Yeah. And it's actually probably a more even substantial or life-giving connection than like something superficial in my mind that I've attributed to having a girl. So I love that idea of replicating and trying to really hone in on like, what is the actual thing we're wanting to achieve, right? That connectedness. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. That is at the absolute heart of the therapy. Hmm. What is it actually about?
0: Yeah. Because it's
1: not about the sparkles and then getting your nails
0: done. Mm A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 What was the next example?
1: The next one was an example of repair. So this client described having had a rough time as a teenager. She told me that she was taken advantage of a lot by some of the boys in her peer group. She's a very shy, quiet person. Her parents were disengaged and overtly favored her brothers she presented in pregnancy with strong gender disappointment. Can you guess what her gender disappointment was about?
0: Boys, more boys.
1: (laughs) So she didn't want a boy, Mm -hmm. you think would be her gender disappointment? Yeah. Well, she actually didn't want a girl. Oh, okay. And isn't that interesting? that you jumped to that conclusion. And I think most of your listeners will. Right. Which shows that I am endlessly surprised by what people tell me underlies their gender disappointment. So she was so scared of having a girl because she didn't want that girl to go through what she had been through. Over time, she built a narrative that she wouldn't be able to bond with a girl Mm. and she wouldn't be able to keep a girl safe in a sort of world where there's toxic masculinity. Mm. So she felt really unable to empower a girl. But you can see how someone in the same position might sort of say, I want boys. I don't want to have a girl that has these things happen to her.
0: Right. Depending, yeah, like on how you process it, how you perceive it. How you perceive it and how you
1: perceive your own capacities right. as a parent. So the work that she did was to find compassion for herself as a young girl. She'd carried a lot of blame and guilt for the experiences she had with boys. And over time, she recognized that no one actually taught her how to speak up or how to tune into herself and decide what she wanted. A lot of her childhood, she was left to fend for herself with no guidance. No one taught her that she could say no. Her work in therapy was to forgive herself, Hmm. to re-narrate her sense of self and to learn to tune into herself and be able to assert her needs. And interestingly, that's what her therapy was about rather than the gender disappointment. Hmm. Even though she presented with gender disappointment or the fear that she was going to be having a girl, she was pregnant. Over the course of therapy, she came to believe that whether she had a girl or a boy, she would be able to draw upon her very supportive relationship, which mm. was a beautiful relationship, her values, which we worked on and she was very clear, became very clear on what they are, to raise that child, no matter the gender or the sex, sorry, I should say correctly, mm. with love and appropriate guidance and that's what her work was to do.
0: Mhm.
1: Then the last example I have, do we have time for that, Erica?
0: Yes, of course. Of course.
1: Is um, an example of reflection of self. Mhm. So this client presented having achieved a very successful career. Like her mother, she was a lawyer. She was the only child in her family who'd gotten a university degree. Her two brothers had struggled with drug and alcohol, and her father had been through several jobs and had been unhappy in all of them. She was desperate to have a girl who could follow in her footsteps. Part of her therapy was working on the gender stereotypes she had developed about men being useless and women being the achievers in the world. Mm -hmm. She and her mum were both quite disdainful of men, and this was playing out in a negative way in her marriage. She and her husband did some couples work, which helped them enormously. She saw that she needed to work on her expectations around achievement and perfectionism to ensure she didn't project these things on a child. Her husband had never felt good enough in the eyes of his parents, who were also high achievers. Interestingly, he chose her.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: because of their expectations, he never felt confident enough to put himself out there as an artist. Part of his work in therapy was about taking risks and facing his fears. Mm. So you can see how deeply these things go and what they signal may need to be worked on Mm -hmm. as distinct from just the feeling of disappointment about the sex of the
0: child. Right. It makes me think about potential traumas or like these early adverse childhood experiences that we've had. And maybe Mm. the sex of the person involved in those or the parent involved in those or so many layers that I can think of that can build on that. Yeah. And for example, I come from like a high conflict custody and access assessment. And I was adamant that I was not going to get married and have kids, you know well, mm. how did that work out for me? <laughs> I'm married to <a> three <laughs> kids and I'm like, okay, well, in my work, I'm not going to work with families. And I ended up working like with couples and children and families and found so much of my own healing in that, of course. But yeah. we make these sort of vows to ourselves, or we hold so tightly to something when there is deep hurt and fear One of the things I remember saying when I found out I was pregnant with my first boy was like, what do I do with a boy? I don't know anything about raising a boy. I don't know anything about boys. And it just felt very Mm. threatening. And there's just, I also have a very contentious relationship with my own father. There's just so much meaning. Yeah. Subconsciously, I think deeply that gets ascribed to or sort of projected on... And we don't really unpack it because we don't talk about it. There's a lot of shame around it. So I'm curious what you would say are maybe some of the first steps for the moms or the parents who are listening to this episode and are just like, this speaks so true to my experience, or I'm thinking of these little tidbits of flashbacks of scenarios or meanings or narratives that are coming up in my mind. Where do they maybe start with unpacking this or processing it? Okay. So the first thing I think
1: is to just accept your feelings and try and move away from the shame, you know, the guilt, the narratives that you think other people hold, and just acknowledge that your feelings are your feelings and you're having them because you hold experiences in your life, certain meaning around things hopes, fears, all that kind of stuff. So first of all, just to say, it's okay that I feel disappointed. What is it about for me? And just acknowledging the feelings Mm -hmm. and having somewhere where you can connect with other people who have those feelings and talk to someone who can help you to really examine them. To be good parents, we need to examine our feelings. Mm -hmm. We need to examine our assumptions and our expectations because, boy, are they going to be tested over time with our little ones. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to open your mind to working through the layers of loss, Mm -hmm. acknowledging the narratives and where they come from. So, you know, some of the examples we've used, really exploring, well, why does this person feel the way she does? What is it about her relationship with her father or her relationship with her mother or the sibling structure and how she was seen within the siblings in the family? working through the issues that may be associated with those things Hmm. because often they're the issues to work on, the issues that underlie their assumptions and their preferences which are responsible for their disappointment and their grief. Right. Really recognising the gender stereotypes that we're making that are not true.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Anything
1: that we think will be or should be or could be We don't know that that's going to be the case. Mm -hmm. And to remember that the things that we've attributed to gender may be to do with various other things like socialisation, parenting, family dynamics, personality, birth order, peer experiences. There's so many things that account for why people are the way they are in our own families of origin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to recognise that it may not be about gender, the things we've attributed to being gender-based. Mm-hmm. Recognising that no matter the sex of the baby and later child, if, you know, someone finds out after their baby's been born, how the gender that child identifies with may not biologically match their assigned sex,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: m- might not match the biological sex is, is rather what I should say. Mm-hmm. Recognising that even if we get the gender we prefer, the narratives that we hold may not play out, and we need to be careful of the expectations of that that we may put on that child. Yeah. Mentalizing the baby that you have, tuning into that little boy, if it's a boy and that's what you feel disappointed about. Who are you? Who is this little soul rather than this is a boy
0: mm. and
1: what you think that means to be having a boy? I think a huge part of this is coming to terms with how little control we have in life. And as parents, as we mature as parents over time, we realize how little control we have over our children. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, in terms of what gender they identify as being, what their interests are, what their personality is, how they connect with us or don't you know, so many things that unfold and pan out that we need to bring a curiosity and a love and an acceptance and try and really rid ourselves of our biases and our stereotypes.
0: Mm -hmm. And if we don't name and accept the feeling... We don't get to this place of processing, right? Like we remain mm. stuck. We remain trying to shove this disappointment back into the closet and trying to show, like, close the door. And we wrestle with ourselves and don't really seek to understand and unpack why we're having this big reaction or, you know, such loss. So I think that in order to get to some of those steps that you were talking about, that key being acceptance of just, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm going through so that you can begin to unpack it bit by bit and make some sense of it. And whether that's with a therapist or like you said, in some of these forums or other parents or moms who have experienced this, someone who can help you to make sense of your experience and process it through, I think would be so helpful. Absolutely. This has been so incredibly insightful. I think that it's going to help so many moms and parents. And I was joking off the air before we hopped on, it is like Almost 10 p.m. at night here in Toronto. I hopped on after wrestling the three kids to bed and poopy bums and, you know, sheet (laughs) changes and all the things um, so that we can coordinate our time zones. And I'm so happy that we made this happen. I appreciate your time and the language that you can give to this phenomenon that, you, as you said, so many moms experience. So thank you. Thank you for joining us here tonight.
1: My pleasure, Erica. And keep up the wonderful work you're doing. It's I love your
0: posts. I love seeing them. I
1: love sharing them.
0: Thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to connect further with your work or what you're building? Do you hang out online or your website? I wouldn't say I hang out online. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> but I do post on the Antenatal and Postnatal Psychology Network. Facebook page, which is antenatal.postnatal.psychology. And more recently, I've taken to Instagram. I don't think I'm anywhere near as savvy as you are, but it's Dr. Renee Miller, R E N D E. And I certainly will post about this podcast coming up. So let me know when it's going to air.
0: Yeah. And we'll make sure to link all of your social media handles and website and everything, especially the article that we're making reference to and how I found you. We'll link all of that in our show notes so that people can find you, read through more of your posts and continue to learn from you. So thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.